Leadership File on Premiere. Welcome to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. Conversations that change the way you lead. The Leadership File focuses on leadership, but of course my guests have a wide variety of views on how leadership is understood. In truth, some may be leaders in name, but spend most of their time managing or involved in activities that have little to do with leading. In this episode, we're going to look at the practicalities of leadership in the local church, both that from the senior pastor and those who serve in the church as elders or ministry leaders. And I'm joined on the leadership file by Dr. Paul Adams, founder and chair of Beacon Light Trust, who for 21 years served as senior pastor with Banstead Baptist Church, now Christ Church Banstead. So welcome back, Paul, to the leadership file. Thank you very much, Andy. Good to be with you. So, so tell me, how did you become involved in local church leadership, first of all? Well, I think it goes back a little bit further than that, really. I've always valued strong, clear, purposeful, focused leadership, personally, for myself. Uh, that was at school, at Crusaders, uh, church, involved in the Army Cadets, um, learning to sail and then racing, uh, uh, sailing dinghies, rock climbing, And I've always seemed to find myself in situations where, well, somebody has to lead and I've ended up doing it. Um, Personally, I found that a strong leader uh, always gives me the confidence to learn new skills, to achieve exciting endpoints, and also a good leader will help me make good friends with whom I share a, a common purpose. Now, about church leadership, I was discipled in a a brethren church which uh, in those days had elders but no minister at all indeed as I was growing up I I thought that to be in full-time paid ministry was wrong Uh, uh, surely if the gospel is to be in the world then God's people need to be in the world and in the workplace and I'm very passionate about workplace ministry still in order to win the world for Christ so my ambition was to leave school Uh, get an education, get a job, earn my keep, support my family, and then use all my spare time for Bible teaching and evangelism. And that was a great idea. Um, But at some point, I ended up with two jobs, and uh, it just became impossible, really. I was uh, looking after half of a church at the same time as having a senior management uh, responsibility, and uh, one job had to go, and it was quite obvious to my wife and I that it was the day job that had to go, and that the Lord had really called us to gospel ministry. In fact, you say, well, you say, well, when did I get started in ministry? I get, got started in ministry almost from the age of sixteen, because the principle in the church then was, uh, if you were sixteen and able at all, then you were in ministry. Um, and so I saw my my work life style not just supporting the ministry, but as a being a part of the ministry, so that I was ministering within the world uh, in my daytime, in my, my job life, and then I was ministering within the church in my, quote, spare time. Um, and yes, so it became clear, and we lived by faith. We trusted the Lord to provide. And then uh, when appointed eventually to the uh, church in Banstead, a senior pastor. They were very generous in their regular support over my 21 years there. And the kind of philosophy of leadership that you've developed, if I can use that 
that kind of grand word philosophy? <laughs> well, yes, it does sound, sound a bit grand because you really never think that what you're doing is a philosophy. But, of course, it does come out of what you think. Um, yeah, I, I suppose my answer has to start with you've got to work out what you're trying to do. If you don't know what you're trying to do, you won't be able to do it. If you don't know what you're aiming for, you won't hit it. And it seems to me that there needs to be an external purpose to what one is doing. Uh, Within the workplace, yes, there's external purpose. If you're in manufacturing, then you need to get the goods going out the factory. If you're in management, you need to get the team working and being productive, whatever industry you're in. But it seems to me that the external purpose for a pastor and church is really important. Otherwise, the pastor and the church just engage together in a mutual cycle of supportive activity. And the more they do that, it it just becomes more and more absorbing and actually excludes people who are outside of the church. And I think the external purpose needs to be a lot more than just community support, uh, which is another mutual and often exclusive cycle. And for me, it must be focused on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to earth and asks me, what have I done with what I've been given? So for me, my end point is my accountability to him for those people who were outside of Christ, who I had the opportunity of interfacing with, either in the workplace or as a neighbour or as a pastor. And it would be lovely to say that they all became Christians and often one feels a complete failure in some of these things. But those are my goals and objectives. And I think many pastors feel that they are only accountable for keeping the believers spiritually safe. Um, And they feel that is best done by applied Bible teaching and pastoral counselling. And that is right. They are responsible for keeping the believers spiritually say but the believers already are believers they already belong to the lord and the pastors should surely enable them to feed each feed themselves and to feed each other instead of the pastor feeling that uh, it's the pastoral responsibility to continually spoon feed the flock interesting to me it's the unbelievers who should be in the minister's line of focus uh, what did the lord jesus say he he talked about the the flock and being willing to leave the 99 and then go after the one who was lost. And, um, yeah. So how how do you lead people to be gospel engagers in the church? Well, I, I think by teaching it, uh, I t- seek to model it, um, get friends to sit on sit in on evangelistic conversations. I remember one lady who said, oh, would you, would you talk to my friend because she, she's interested in Jesus? And I said, yes, I will, but will you come along as well? And uh, uh, after, uh, I don't know how many sessions it was, three or four sessions, this lady who was, who was really ready to come to the Lord Jesus but just didn't know what the gospel was, um, she came to Christ and prayed um, in, in such a moving way. And I had an extraordinary card from this lady, that is her friend, the Christian friend, afterwards, who said, thank you so much for what you've done for my friend. Well, it wasn't really me that had done it. It was the Lord who had been working in her heart. I just provided the, the message, the information. She said, I have never, ever seen somebody become a Christian before although I've been in the church for 40 years. 
And that really struck me. And actually, that was just one of those turning points in my ministry, saying, you know, I really need to encourage the church to become gospel engagers themselves. But many people really don't know quite how to do it. So, yeah, teach it and model it and get people to sit in, run training courses. We ran a training course called Sharing Jesus. Interestingly, we we started off calling it the personal evangelism course and hardly anybody turned up. We then called it the Sharing Jesus course and we were flooded out. That was great. But also apprentices. Take people who want to learn and uh, take them along with you. So I'm not sure really how that sort of gels with your question. What sort of philosophy, kind of philosophy did you develop? I mean, I know there are lots of different leadership styles. And if you say, well, what is my leadership style? I'm not entirely sure. I think I've probably got a mixture. I'm a bit of a campaign leader if if there is a, a targeted mission, which we are, we are setting out um, to, um, uh, to, to reach the local community. Uh, I love mentoring groups of uh, leaders. Uh, I always did one-to-one sessions with my staff. Uh, Ideally, once a week, we'd sit down with each staff member individually. Um, But I think you need to know where people are at before you can lead them anywhere. And so you need to do a lot of listening and asking questions and observing people. I, I think I did a lot of that, really. Watcher, I became a great people watcher. And then just saw where people were at, and then those who were ready to go on to the next step to, to deliberately take those on. Well, of course, you, you have the what you might call the formal leadership of the church, sometimes the senior pastor, the elders. Um, but then there's other there are other lead, people leading ministries as well. And I'm just interested in in how your understanding of leadership filters into you know someone who's heading up the children's work or whatever it might be. Yes, well, I I had the the advantage before coming into full-time Christian ministry uh, of having some time in, in industry and, uh, and then in other areas. Um, and what I saw there was that the more hierarchical an organisation is, the less easy it is to get the DNA down into the grassroots. And so I, I learned from an early stage to try to have what I call a flat matrix structure. Now, in practice, it wasn't completely flat. But it was great to have the elders and the deacons and the senior staff and the small team leaders hopefully feeling that they were all on the same level and to value them uh, equally and to uh, engage with them uh, in such a way that they felt that they were really a part of what was going on and not sort of four four flights down in, in, in the basement of the church somewhere. Um, in, in terms of appointing small group leaders, I, I, I like to try to find people that I could trust and then put authority and accountability in the same place so that they didn't have to keep, um, in business language, going up the office to seek permission to do things. They were trusted to get on with their particular area, and if it was within the the children's at work or the youth work or the music ministry or whatever it was, they were trusted to do it. And and it was, I think, a high-trust environment, which is, of course, great when everybody shares the same agenda, but, alas, is rather disappointing and destructive when somebody pretends to agree but really doesn't. So as time went on, I I learnt that I needed to choose my my team very carefully uh, to 
uh, enable those people who were really on side to blossom. And therefore, interestingly, it was probably easier to take people who were relatively young converts and train them uh, together so that they share that sense of team environment, team spirit uh, together. And then I found that they were very, very um, uh, supportive of one another, um, loyal to the, uh, the gospel principles of the church. Uh, and we we worked together very well. And what, of course, that did was to enable a whole new generation to come into leadership. I think one of the dilemmas of leadership is the idea that the older you are, you must be wiser and therefore you must have more say, whereas actually the people who've just become Christians, they're the ones who've got the greatest contact with our non-Christian friends, and they are the ones who are best able to advise the leadership of the best routes to get the gospel message through. Well, you're listening to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. You've been listening to Dr. Paul Adams. We're talking about leadership approaches in the local church, and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Dr. Paul Adams. He's the founder and chair of Beacon Light Trust, Served for 21 years as senior pastor with Banstead Baptist Church in North Surrey, now Christchurch Banstead. We're talking particularly about how we lead and, and kind of breaking down something of a, a leadership philosophy and, and which is gospel-centred and seeks to uh, be missional in its in its impact and outlook. So we were, we're talking before the break particularly about, um, Paul was sharing some of the, uh, the principles whereby he seeks to lead within a local church and has sought to lead. Um, I hinted, Paul, in the introduction that, that some leaders merely manage. <laughs> uh, do church leaders abrogate the responsibility that, that should be theirs often, do you think? Well, I think actually all leaders have to manage. Um, and I've often said to my assistants, if you can't or will not administrate, then you cannot minister. Um, you don't have to administer everything, though, administrate everything. Um, and once you start developing teams, and then the teams can get on with it in a, in a high-trust environment. Uh, quite a lot of leaders, they may delegate, yet never get involved properly in the feedback cycle. So it's delegation, but it is abrogation. Um, and that then, of course, leads to mini-empires and finally disintegration. Um, now, leadership seems to me to be about uh, vision setting and vision forming and then enabling people to grapple with the vision. Of course, that's probably easier for the newer generation who are aspirational rather than for those who would really like to hang on to the past, to preserve things as they used to be and to minimise change. I think there's an old hymn, isn't there, talks about heaven saying nothing changes here. <laughs> Um, but to apply that to the church nowadays, uh, outsiders may then say that if they, that's the church, don't believe that they, they should change, then why should the outsiders change? Either then they have to merge in with a strange churchy subculture or they walk out the door and don't come back. On the other hand, it seems to me that the newer generation who are aspirational and that doesn't when I say newer generation I'm not talking about age now because uh, there are some amazingly aspirational leaders uh, around in the world who are well into into their 70s and 80s um, those who want to explore what they can do uh, and with the Lord's help uh, these are people who like to have a purpose uh, 
but they are hungry, I think, for visionary and mentoring leadership. And they want to have a combination of somebody who's personally interested in them at the same time as somebody who will personally stretch them. Um, yet they, they, they don't want to be clones, they want to be individuals, but at the same time they don't want to be on their own, they want to be a part of a team and to be equally respected and valued. Um, as Star Trek uh, used to say, these are people who want to boldly go. <laughs> it's, well, it sounds a little bit like Jesus and how he, how he led, the, led, the, led the 12 uh, to me. But anyway, um, I mean, many churches believe in, in corporate leadership as opposed to a senior pastor acts as a kind of a skipper. And I'm just wondering whether corporate leadership can make it harder for strong leadership to be exercised in, in what you're kind of saying. Well, I think when you have a church and the church is part of the body of Christ, therefore there does need to be a corporateness. Um, uh, I think the question is, um, how is that corporateness expressed or developed? Um, because if there's not a corporateness, the church then becomes fragmented into multiple interest groups and there's no cohesive focus and uh, the cohesive focus, which the Lord set into my heart, is, is, is a gospel focus to communicate the message of the gospel and to enable the rest of the church to learn how to do it as well so that I'm not the only person doing, but we're all uh, gospel communicators. Um, yeah, so how do you achieve corporateness? Well, some people do it with um, saying, well, let's have everybody's ideas and then we'll have a lowest common denominator. Uh, that seems to me to not really gel with the way in which uh, the Lord Jesus operated or in which the early church operated. It seems to me that uh, you need to set a vision. Somebody who has a vision needs to set the vision. And ideally, that does need to be the uh, the senior leader. Um, to share the vision, embed the vision into the church DNA. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that if the church pastor or leader doesn't do it then somebody will do it but it will be to the, to their own agenda and that will then fragment the corporateness as well so uh, i i do believe that it's good to have people who are clear strong leaders but i also believe it's essential to listen and so therefore in our um in our leadership meetings we we very rarely came to a vote on any decision. It wasn't that the the pastor dictated what was going to happen. No, we talked about the issue, we prayed, and then I would always ask for the individual views. What do you think? What do you think? As so we went around the circle. And then I would seek to gather those together and summarise. And either at that point it was clear that there was a way forward, uh, and that was plain, or... Where we had got to was a series of question marks, and that was fine. That then became the starting point for the next discussion. Um, and so, yes, there is a sense, a real sense of corporateness. If you go, of course, in the, uh, in the direction of, if you like, a sort of democratic leadership, you then have everybody having their own say, and those who have got the strongest voice or the strongest temperament tend to then win. Uh, that doesn't seem to me to really mesh with where the uh, New Testament church is at. Uh, Bill, Bill Hybel says it's the job of the leader to define reality. Um, we've been talking about, you know, the philosophy of leadership, but it's all obviously within a reality in which, you know, we're leading within the UK. And I just wonder what you see as the reality. Um, I appreciate that's a, you know, it's a broad question, but but just give me, give me a few of your thoughts. 
Well, it's a huge question. Um, I, I, I do believe in local churches, and I believe in the global church, and I do believe that all uh, those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, wherever they will live, wherever they live, are, are part of, of his church, his family. But the way in which the church is expressed uh, tends to be different. And although there have been lots of good ideas which have flown in from other countries, I don't think they necessarily always work within the particular subculture that we may be operating in in the UK. Um, I think the the reality of the gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ has come to earth to die for the sins of the world, that the world is a sinful place, and uh, you really don't need to go more than a few minutes uh, and open your eyes for a couple of seconds to realize that this is a sinful place and we do need saving, not just from ourselves and from the from the tragedy of sin around us and that sin which to which, unfortunately, we each daily contribute. Um, but we need to have um, salvation uh, so that we might have eternal life. We need to have the presence of the Lord Jesus in our hearts. We need to know how it is to repent. And, and, and these are the universal realities. Now, how we express that within our particular subculture um, seems to me to be different in terms of the tools that we might use, but equally the same in terms of the Bible truths that we are putting forward. And therefore, it seems to me that the we get into a danger when we move away from the Bible and we become reliant on tools or somebody else's bright idea as to what God might think. Let's get back to the Scripture and uh, find ourselves earthed there. Well, time has almost gone, Paul. It's been it's fascinating to chat with you about, about this topic of leadership. So, uh, If I can ask you just maybe for a few books... Um, that that maybe have helped you through think through leadership issues that you might want to recommend to to, to listeners perhaps who'd who'd like to pick up on either some of the things you've said or particularly other ideas that you'd that expressed in the written form. A book which I picked up recently by Lehman and Pentak, uh, published in two thousand and four, is entitled "The Way of the Shepherd." It's a brilliant little book. It's written actually as a as an airport book uh, for. Um, for non-Christians and just saying, well, look, these are ancient principles of leadership in business. Uh, but, of course, it comes all out of the Scriptures and it is a brilliant little book for pastors. I was also greatly uh, affected by the secular book by Charles Handy, Understanding Organisations, published in 1993. And to realise that the church is an organisation, there are lots of people in it, and just the way in which people interact in terms of their dynamics, I needed to understand, rather than to be, if you like, super spiritual about it all. I have been particularly touched by Haddon Robinson's expository preaching, uh, first published, I think, in 1980. And in Haddon Robinson's book, he keeps on hammering on, let the main thing be the main thing. And I know that's uh, something which is uh, important to, to you and your ministry, Andy, and it's always been important to me. I've got to say, what is the important thing? What is God wanting me to do? And how does that tie in with the imperative of gospel proclamation? Well, that's wonderful, Paul. Thank you. So that's uh, The Way of the Shepherd uh, by Lehman and Pentak. Understanding Organisations, Charles Handy 
and expository preaching by Haddon Robinson. So if you're searching for a pen, uh, hopefully uh, you've been able to jot those down and you can, um, I'm sure, order them either for your local bookshop or uh, or Amazon. Paul, it's been fantastic to chat and to share, for you to share something of your, your leadership philosophy with us. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Andy. Good to be with you. Um, and do uh, If you could find out more of um, uh, Paul's work through the Beacon Light Trust, which is uh, the, the um, trust that he founded and uh, oversees, um, through beaconlight.org uh, uh, uk, and from there you can access the two subsidiary websites uh, Crosscheck and Word at Work Fantastic Well I look forward to your company again next Sunday at uh, 3.30 uh, Do you, uh, Go to Premier's own website and you can find archive versions of Leadership File including this one in due course I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30 Thanks for tuning in You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premiere. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 